time for the latest in sports debate. The hottest topics, the biggest question marks, answered right now. This is The Critical Eye with Erie Sports Now's Isaac Petcash. Well, on a Monday, we are wondering, gentlemen, what we're going to be talking about. I say that sarcastically. Boy, what a weekend. What a time in sports. December. Snow is gone. Things don't go away. And what a episode we have for you here on this Monday. Isaac Petcast, Joe Ledneski, Jovan Johnson. Guys, pick your poison of what we want to start with today. But we'll go with the only local game that happened yesterday in the NFL. Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Baltimore Ravens 20 to 19 on one of the weirdest games that I've ever seen. Steelers trailed going into the fourth quarter. They only had three total points. Ben Roethlisberger and Toledo native Deontay Johnson hook up for two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Baltimore goes for two at the end after scoring a touchdown. They do not get it. Lamar Jackson's throw just to the right of Mark Andrews. And Pittsburgh holds on to win. And the false optimism consumes the Yinzer mob hole for at least one more week. So, guys, the question that I have for you to start this show. Did this game show you more about the Steelers or more about the Ravens? Because I'll tell you what. After that two-point conversion, I thought to myself, I don't necessarily know if John Harbaugh trusts his quarterback. You know, it's funny you say that because I – you know, I tweeted last night, you know, Lamar giveth, Lamar take it away. Um, I, I'm, my specialty is bad analogies. But I, I, I would compare Lamar Jackson to, to Rory McIlroy. Um, because Rory's, Rory's really good is, is really, really good. Best in the world, laps the field. His good is as good, if not better than Tiger. Is bad is not not very good at all. And what made Tiger so great was Tiger didn't need his A game to win. Tiger could win with his B game. And I'm not certain, Joe Vaughn, that there's a player in the National Football League that has the vast range of good to awful like Lamar Jackson does. Like, literally, Lamar Jackson's good is MVP good. We've seen it. But his bad is atrocious. And, you know, we talk about his inaccuracy. He had four picks. Um, I thought the most egregious was, you know, Mark, Mark Andrews being wide open for that touchdown. And he threw the ball eight yards behind him. Mark Andrews made an unbelievable play to make it look like it wasn't that bad of a throw. And I used to say this about Justin Fields all the time when he was at Ohio State. Far too often is the play-by-play guy talking about a wide-open guy making a spectacular catch, right? Uh, It's not that I don't like Lamar Jackson. He's electric. But my goodness gracious, his bat is not very good, and his inaccuracy is going to haunt him forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Absolutely. He's been struggling to throw the ball efficiently and effectively. You know, when you got guys running wide open, um, he missed the one on Mark Andrews down the seam that would have scored a touchdown. And then uh, I think one thing that he needs to improve on for sure is his decision-making, you know, far too many times he's scrambling around in the, pro- in the pocket, trying to make things happen uh, with his legs, but 
you know, when you're running away from, from uh, defenders and you're trying to throw the ball down the field, the interception of Minka Fitzpatrick uh, early in the game was one that I'm sure he wished he could get back. You know, that took points off the board, being in the red zone. You don't get red zone opportunities that often. But, you know, that, that last play on the two-point conversion, you know, should have been a convert. But, you know, he, he tried to sidearm the throw and, you know, just left it a little bit short out in front. Uh, you know, those are, those are you know, pitch and catches. That, that should be a routine play. And I think Lamar Jackson right now is kicking himself for missing so many wide open targets, you know. And, and when you hear commentators say, you know, the, the guy wide open makes the great catch, it's usually due to the inaccurate throws of the quarterback. You know, guys, this is really interesting because we were talking about last week, we had a vivid conversation to talk about the Browns' struggles with Baltimore's front seven. I looked mm -hmm. at that game last night and I thought to myself, Mike Tomlin copied and pasted the game plan from the Ravens' defense last week. We talked about how Baltimore was so stout at stopping Baker Mayfield. What was the key to getting Baker off his game, stopping the Browns' run game? Just stack the box. And even though there were plenty of third down and 10-plus that Baltimore converted, guys, Mike Tomlin went into that game and said, I don't really care if Lamar beats us in the pocket. He stacked the box. He went with the blitz. The Steelers had seven sacks in the game. And, and oh, by the way, Lamar Jackson – is incapable of throwing the ball in the pocket. And I think that's the big problem. That's the blueprint for Baltimore that they're going to have to fix. Lamar can't throw the ball in the pocket. Here's the other thing, too, guys, that scares me about Baltimore and for Pittsburgh should be a godsend. Did you see the time of possession specifically after the first half, guys? Yeah, it was like, what, 23, 30, and six something. I mean, it was, 23 it was amazing. Three and a half minutes. Baltimore held the ball in the first half. Jovan, if, if a team holds the ball, if your defense, if you get to be on the sideline for 23 and a half minutes of the first half, you're thinking your team's up by 20. Am I wrong? Absolutely. You know, when you control the time of possession in a game, you know, in a meaningful game at that, on such a discrepancy of time, you think that your team's ahead by a large margin because you're limiting the other team's offensive game plan to be on the field i mean they're standing on the sideline watching you go to work on offense and you yeah you you definitely would think that the the point spread would have been astronomical if, with the discrepancy and in, in time of possession so here's where i'm at i want to make this comment because because we've talked about the ravens i do want to talk about the steelers maybe this is an overreaction maybe this is a glimmer of hope for pittsburgh fans around the entire nfl the last five games what i learned from pittsburgh last night is that Ben Roethlisberger is still capable of leading comebacks. We saw it in the chargers game. Did it pan out? No, but 27 points in the fourth quarter ain't too shabby. I get there was a block punt. I get there was a turnover. Sure. But we saw last night as I was watching from the press box at Heinz field, I watched a different quarterback guys. The first three quarters, Ben was having trouble completing anything. Baltimore defense right on the Pittsburgh receivers. Deontay Johnson couldn't get free. Didn't have a catch until the end of the second quarter. Chase Claypool virtually invisible for yet another game in a row. Pat Fryermuth, well, when he wasn't catching the two-point ball, virtually invisible in the game. Something happened in the fourth quarter and called experience, 
call it the knowledge of the rivalry, call it December football. Ben Roethlisberger found his inner 25-year-old switch, and he turned it on. And I don't know if he's capable of leading this team to the postseason, but there's one thing that I do know. There's still that part of him that can find ways to win games late. We saw that in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter yesterday. Guys, his passer rating was perfect in the second half. He was 10 of 11, 150 yards and two touchdowns. Am I, am I going overboard to say that Ben still has that ability to come back in games? Well, I think, I think the, and again, I, this will be interesting uh, when we hear from, from Tomlin, from Ben, whatever, but I don't know. I assume it will be Ben Roethlisberger that gets, gets the credit and not Matt Canada, but I, I thought, I thought Joe Bond, they did a much better job uh, in specifically in the second half of slowing down, uh, you know, Patrick Queen, Odafe Owe really didn't, didn't wow you like they did against the Browns. But I also thought that Ben didn't hang on to the ball. Uh, you know, the, the ball was out really early. I, I thought, you know, that, that throw that he did make to Friermuth, I thought that was a really, really good throw for the conversion. Um, but I thought, I thought the game plan changed quite a bit. But I also think, you know, the, the secondary continues to get, you know, beaten up by the Ravens. So I don't know if that's fool's gold or not. Um, you know, I guess, I guess we'll see. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I believe it or not, because that was the, uh, that was the uh, explanation by John Harbaugh as to why they went for two. But, you know, I, I think the old adage is, is on the road, you play to win and at home you play for the tie. So I don't think necessarily Harbaugh needed an explanation as to why he did it. I just thought that the second half in particular, they did a much better job of getting the ball out of uh, Roethlisberger's hands. But again, I don't know if that's because he had better protection or because they're playing dudes off the practice squad in the back end of the defense. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to really say, um, you know, due to, you know, the injury situation for both sides, but um, it's hard to really say the second half. I thought the, the Steelers did a much better job of controlling the game by using utilizing the run game to open up the quick passing game and things of that nature. They really stuck to it. The run game, they stuck to it. You know, they handed the ball off to Najee on multiple occasions. He'd get three yards, he'd get two yards, he'd get four yards, whatever the case may be, but they stuck to it. They didn't just go away from it and start throwing the ball, trying to air it out all over the field. And when they did hit throws, they caught the Ravens defense in a position where we talked about before the game, if you can make one guy miss, then big plays happen when they're sending a blitz. And Deontay Johnson made a couple guys miss, and he got out in the open field, and he does what he does, what he does best and uses his speed. And I think that's where the, the Steelers' offense started to click in that second half is was their ability to control the game by running the football and then getting the ball out of Ben's hand quick, as to Joe's point. Who, who, who gets the credit for it? I don't know if it's Kennedy or, or Roethlisberger, but I'm sure they've been having some sort of discussions as to, you know, how they can be successful in offense. And, and that's how they did it. That's, they got it done in the second half. I told Mike Ruzzi, who was at the game with me before the game started, I said, there's one way Pittsburgh wins this game and one way only. If Najee Harris gets the ball 20 plus times, they win. If he doesn't, they lose. Harris carried the ball 21 times on Sunday for 71 yards. The Steelers, I, I can't believe I have to say this. And finally, I think Matt Canada listened yesterday. The Steelers are 5-0 and oh 
When Najee Harris carries the ball 20 or more times, they are one, five, and one when he does not. It is simple math. I don't understand why it's such a tough concept. I don't realize why there's in losses, but a lack of wanting to run the football. Run the damn ball. <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard. I mean, you look at what happened last night, guys. You know, 71 yards isn't anything to smile about. But a lot of those yards were hardworking yards in the fourth quarter, something that I saw. Th- this is this is the formula to win for Pittsburgh. You have to run the ball. I, I mean, is that is that too much to ask? It shouldn't be. You would think that it wouldn't be too much to ask for. I mean, considering that, you know, running backs are a dime a dozen these days and, and they don't really draft running backs in the first round like they used to in the old days. So when you spend a first round draft pick on a running back, the objective is to get him the ball and hand, hand him the ball off and let him do what he does. And that, that's a correlation between winning and losing. The recipe to win for the Steelers is to run the football. That's Steeler football. That's the way they've done it throughout the years of being successful is running the football. You know, you don't rely on the quarterback to throw the ball a 50-plus times a game. And that's the same issue that the Buffalo Bills face is their inability to run the football. When you can run the football and control the game, control the line of scrimmage, it'll open up the pass game. You'll be able to pass the ball all over the field if you want to, if you just stick to running the football, and that's why they won the game. So who the heck knows in the AFC North anymore? Joe Burrow's got a busted finger. Baker Mayfield can barely move. Lamar Jackson, if he doesn't move, isn't going to win games. Who knows about this division anymore? That's just gotten a lot closer. So the Steelers win. We're going to preview the Bills in a little bit, but uh, let's let's shift to this, guys. You know, when I was younger, and I think this goes for many people, I got so excited for my birthday, right? The one day of the year where you can do really whatever you want. Doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter what you do. You know, you ask to go putt-putting and bowling and go into outer space, and your parents are like, yeah, yeah, sure, it's your birthday. What the heck? I used to get so excited. And as I've aged, not saying I don't get excited anymore, but but the novelty of the birthday has somewhat worn off. Yeah, sure, you still get gifts. It's cool. People sometimes bake you cake, ice cream cake, brownies if you're not a cake person. But the novelty has worn off. And as I was sitting on my couch on Sunday getting ready to head to Pittsburgh, I remember thinking to myself back in 2014 in the institution of the playoff, I got so excited for Selection Day. The chance to watch the craziness of the committee picking the four teams in the playoff. Who knew who was going to be in? Who knew who was going to play who? We saw craziness in year one where TCU went from number three to number six. Baylor, who was a conference champion, uh, drop, drop out of the top five. Ohio State in the last week jumps all the way into the top four. Craziness ensues. Ohio State beats Bama and they win the national title. But yesterday, I wasn't excited to watch the reveal. I wanted to get it over with. I was more subdued. Why? Because I knew what was going to happen. You knew what the committee was going to decide. You could have made that decision yourself. And the birthday cake and the fun putt-putt golf and baseball games and the birthday hats and, and inviting your friends over for a party, that's all gone because the committee has become predictable. And I, I will say this to you both. If you had come to me four years ago and told me, Isaac, we need to expand the college football playoff. I'd have looked at you and I'd have said, yeah, okay. Be happy with what you have, but now is the time to switch and make a change. I am so disgusted, not with the four teams that made it in, 
but in the ranking that they put them in because there is absolutely zero criteria to rank teams after this final week. Guys, your reaction to the rankings because I'm ready to spout off at this committee. I'm in the minority. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think Georgia deserved to get in. I, I think they had their chance to get in and they didn't. They missed. Um, I, I just wonder in this SEC bias world in which we live, imagine if that goal line stand that Baylor made was Alabama or Georgia making that goal line stand on the other. The playoff would have been canceled and that winner just would have been given the national championship trophy and be like, hey, thanks for coming, guys. This was awesome. The problem, I mean, the problem with this whole thing is, is that, I mean, this is the good old boys network extraordinaire. There's a reason that they don't want automatic births. There's a reason they want to box people out. Uh, I thought it was unconscionable that Cincinnati was the four seed. Uh, and again, Joe Bond, to me, if you have to manipulate seedings to prevent having a rematch, somebody in the said rematch doesn't belong. Uh, I thought, I mean, Georgia blew the doors off your Hawkeyes. Uh, or excuse me, Michigan blew the doors off your Hawkeyes. Cincinnati handled their business. Georgia got absolutely crushed by a very pedestrian Alabama team. And now, oh, whatever. Look at this. I, I said this on my radio show, and you know that I'm right. Let's say, let's say your Hawkeyes were whatever and one, right? And let's say your Hawkeyes barely beat Indiana, 500-team fired coach, beat them by two points. And then they, and then they sleepwalk with a, a win with Northwestern. They also have to fire their coach. And then Minnesota, they needed four overtimes to beat Minnesota by two points. And, oh, by the way, the only good win they had all year long was over 24th-ranked Wisconsin, but they only did that by one point. I mean, literally – Iowa would have had to pay that tab. Alabama never had to pay that tab. They slept walk their average team after average team, and they never fell in the rankings. And the reality is the rankings create the perception. And to Isaac's point, why did they even play the damn game? We knew Georgia was getting in anyway. I agree with you 100%. You know, I think that, you know, the bias that surrounds the, the SEC is one that has been over the years given so much attention to that people don't really understand. You know, the fact that Nick Saban is an SEC powerhouse of a coach and his ability to get recruit after recruit after recruit to go play in the SEC for the teams that he coaches brings a lot of attention to the SEC. And I think the bias that surrounds that is that the SEC is mighty in all walks of the world. They're bigger than every other conference in all of America. But the reality is the SEC, if you check the numbers of bowl games of SEC versus other conferences, I guarantee you the numbers would, would jump off their page at you as to how much they lose. And that's not to say that the SEC isn't pound for pound across the board, probably one of the better conferences in America because they are from top to bottom, but there's only usually one or two really good teams in the SEC and then the, the rest of them just kind of float above being 
above average. And that's Georgia and Alabama this year. And it's kind of getting out of control how a number one ranked Georgia team that has mobbed everybody throughout the year and you look back at the scores, they given they gave up what less than seven or eight points a game or or something like that defensively. And then they go into the SEC championships against Alabama and playing against the best team they've played played all year, and they get destroyed. That just tells me that Georgia was a front runner all season and that they didn't deserve to get into the college football playoff. I would have much rather saw Notre Dame. Or or even Baylor. Baylor, not Notre Dame. Baylor, Baylor made the play to win the game, and that I mean that's you know they talk about the the college football playoff expansion. People don't want it because they they don't want to ruin the regular season, devalue the regular season. Literally, again, imagine if that if that Big Twelve championship, Joe Vaughn, was the end of the Big Ten or the SEC title game. People would have been going nuts, but it was almost an afterthought. Absolutely, and I I think that. The, the way that the committee set up, I thought that Michigan, being that they were number two, should have moved up to number one, and Bama should have been number two. Because finally, of, jo- finally, Jovan hits the nail on the head. Finally. What about Cincinnati? They're There's, the only one that's there is, Guys, I, I got I to gotta jump in here. I, I, gotta, I got a big problem. My problem is not with the rankings. The top four, the four teams that made it in, I don't have a problem with. You know, on Sunday, guys, we talked about last Sunday before conference championship week. I was a big proponent of the eye test, and Joe gave me a little bit of flack with this, with the whole Georgia argument. I do believe that you have to watch the games on the field, how good a team looks. Do conference championships matter? Sure, of course they do. Do one zero loss teams matter? Sure, of course they do. What I watched on Saturday is a mismatch. Alabama clearly, clearly better than a Georgia team who couldn't move the ball and was one-dimensional every single snap of the game. What we learned with Georgia, if you can break through their defense, if you have a star quarterback, there's no chance you lose. Here's my problem. When I watch Michigan... In the last two weeks of the season, Maul, arguably what experts had as the second best team in the entire country, 42 points against an improving defense, holding what most experts said, the best offense in the country to 27, showing that they were the powerhouse in the Big Ten, and then following it up. With a 42-3 to win against a team that, oh, by the way, five weeks ago was second in the country. I understand Iowa's not as good of a team as we thought they were. But when you couple those two wins together, guys, I'm looking at the eye test. Please explain to me how Michigan is not ranked number one. This team is more physical than Alabama. They have a more stout defense than Alabama. I would argue that if their quarterback is on, that he is good enough to play with Bryce Young and Alabama's offense. So Michigan, to me, should be number one. And let's also put this out there, guys. If that stop by Baylor doesn't happen, Cincinnati is not in the playoff. What the committee told you on Saturday and on Sunday when they made the rankings is that for Cincinnati, their criteria to get in was to win, but also, but also get help. B 
because the distinction between Georgia and Cincinnati was Georgia's getting in no matter what, and we are going to put in a one-loss conference champion, Oklahoma State, if they beat Baylor a second time. You can't tell me, you can't tell me that the eye test can't matter. You look at Cincinnati and you look at Michigan. Cincinnati with great wins, with win over Notre Dame, who ends up the ranking fifth. Two of the best corners in the country, Amon Gardner and uh, Kobe Bryant. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to think that this committee doesn't have the ability to rank properly in the top four. And furthermore, whether it's SEC bias or whatever, who wouldn't want to see an Alabama-Georgia rematch in the semifinal? Give me a break. Michigan won, Cincinnati three, Alabama and Georgia either play each other or put them put them lower in the rankings. I'm sorry. That is the point for me that I get most disgusted with is the fact that you have Alabama jumping to one and the committee told you on Sunday, we're not putting Cincinnati in if Oklahoma State gets that extra yard. Well, I think that I think the, the issue that I that most people, which this is the bias, is that Georgia was just in, which I mean, again, like what was it was imagine I, I feel like I'm picking on Joe Bond's Hawkeyes here, but imagine, imagine Joe Bond's Hawkeyes being like, what do you mean? Yeah, we lost. We got, we got killed by Ohio state, but, but we beat by, we beat Purdue. They have nine wins. Like that's the argument. Literally. Like, was it the win over Kentucky that solidified how good Georgia was to you? What was it? The win over Georgia tech, the win over Auburn, the win over Arkansas, like, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. I mean, sure they beat Clemson, but you know what? Pitt beat Clemson. Like, what? I don't. I don't understand. It has everything to do with where they started. Like to me, I you know, Cincinnati was in a tough spot. They would have been screwed. I wish. I wish Oklahoma State would have won because I would have been even more angry today when Cincinnati got left out for one loss, Georgia. But literally, and what's my question is this, Jovan? What's more important, wins or losses? Because you're you're really making the argument. That Georgia's got a better loss because they don't have any win that any that there's not a single team in the top 10 that has a less impressive win than Georgia. Put that in perspective. And they were the lock after not winning their conference. That makes no sense. Right. Yeah, I think Georgia's most impressive win was Clemson in the week one, in which they won 10 to 3 or or something along those lines. It was a defensive ball game. And Clemson, Clemson went on this season to be very average at best of a football team. And they didn't really do much. They beat Wake Forest, yes, but, um, you know, they, they didn't really show and tell anything uh, that would make them worthy of being in the ranking of, of being a top team in the, com- in the country. And I think uh, Alabama, their best win on the season was beating the breaks off of Georgia, which, you know, everybody thought was the number one team in all of America. So, you know, I don't I don't think that the SEC deserves to have two teams in the in the playoff. I think they should have one and that would be Alabama and they should be ranked in the middle of the pack uh, two or three. And I think Michigan should have been number one. I think Cincinnati did enough to get in. And I think Cincinnati's definitely deserving of being in the playoff and showing people, you know, what they're capable of. And just because they're not in a power five team doesn't mean that they don't have the players to compete. 
So, I mean, I think they definitely need to make some changes to the playoff format. Six A 16 playoff format to me makes more sense because the f- top two one and two teams should get a bye, then, you know, work their way off, off of that. But, you know, it's just incredible to see how it all p- p- played out in the end with you the SEC bye. Guys, we make, we make such an emphasis. And, and Joe, Joe Vaughn, you guys have talked about winning your conference championship. You know why I don't believe the committee cares about conference championships? We value the top four teams. We look at the top four teams in the ranking. And I would argue on Sunday when ESPN had the reveal that most people turned off their TV after the top four, right? Who cares? Who cares about the rest of the rest of the bunch, right? That doesn't matter. That doesn't make a difference. When you look at the teams ranked five through 25, conference championships matter, right? Notre Dame didn't win a conference championship for obvious reasons. Ohio State was sitting at six. Oh, I'm sorry. Their their big last game was a, an absolute mauling to Michigan. Then you have the highest ranked conference champion Baylor at seven. But wait, they have Ohio State and Notre Dame ranked ahead of them. Uh, who's ranked eighth? That's that's got to be like a, a Utah, right? Who blew the doors off of tenth ranked Oregon for the second consecutive time in the season, right? No, it's it's Ole Miss. Ole Miss, what what good win do they have? I, I mean, Arkansas, uh, I, I I don't really know. So uh, surely surely Utah's got to be Utah's got to be ninth, right? No, it's it's Oklahoma State, a offense who couldn't even score more than twenty five against Baylor. Then who's tenth? Uh, it's right, conference champ. Sure, has to be right. You got to have another conference champ at the top. No, it's it's Michigan State. Michigan State, who fell apart after their win against Michigan. Oh, by, by the way, Michigan State, but they only have two losses right there in the Big Ten. They, their biggest loss was, oh, they, they got steamrolled in Columbus to Ohio State. Then you get down to 11 and 12. You have Utah and you have Pitt. A Pitt team that came out in the second half and took care of Wake Forest without a problem. Only two losses to me were fluke losses. And then Utah sitting at 11, a three-loss conference champ, albeit though a conference champ who completely destroyed the arguable best team in the conference, Ohio State beater, top four-ranked team for most of the season, Oregon. So when I hear that conference championships matter, conference championships have to matter. That's a consideration that the committee has when putting in the teams in the playoff. Don't spare me, spare me. Because when you look down at the rest of the top 25, and this is why I post for an expansion of the playoffs. If you want conference championships to truly matter, then why on earth do you take the rest of the top 25 and throw them randomly around? Because if conference championships matter, Baylor would be sitting at five. You have Utah sitting in the top seven at least and Pitt in the top 10. I am my biggest frustration, guys, with this is the lack of attention the committee pays to teams five through 25 because to them, it's slim pickings and you can manipulate it to how you want for the top four to look good. I mean, it, that, that to me is the biggest cause for issue with this committee. You don't pay attention to the other teams. You manipulate five through 25 so the top four can look good. And you have zero accountability and consistency throughout those rankings. Well, the only, the only thing about Pitt 
and I think this is you can't we can't have this conversation. You know, Baylor had two losses, and they got a bad one uh, to TCU. But Pitt losing to Western Michigan, you can't, you just you can't not pay that any attention because that is by far and away of anybody that's in the fringes of the conversation. That is by far and away uh, the worst loss of any of those types of losses. Um, that's I think that's first and foremost. Uh, the other thing that I, I think that you're you're sort of missing on because you're thinking rationally and logically whereas you know the NCAA tournament it's like everybody loves Loyola Chicago or George Mason or you know UMBC but but then they sort of serve their purpose you know once you get to the Sweet 16 then we sort of lose interest in them because then they don't really uh, fall into the narrative that we'd like them to have because that's really not what we want We, we want the blue bloods and the big dogs um, and I think I think the proof is in the pudding. Remember, this is a made-for-TV event. This is owned and operated uh, by a, a television outlet. And Michigan and Ohio State had 15 and a half million eyeballs on that game. Um, it's not that Cincinnati does or doesn't deserve to get in, but it's a glass ceiling in which all of these schools are forced to deal with. And, you know, if that's the thing is that there's not, there's, there's, it's not a coincidence that, you know, you are finding ways and hows and narratives to try to manipulate who they are. And again, I, you know, there's been some Iowa teams that have been in snubbed uh, Wisconsin, but they're not, they're not the big boys, Isaac. And that's the, that's the biggest problem you have with this. If you look at the top 10 most watched games in a college football season, You'll see Penn State twice. You'll see Ohio State three times. You'll see Michigan twice. You'll see Notre Dame three times. You'll see Clemson three times. You'll see, I mean, you'll see the same schools. And again, it's a made for TV event. And the advertisers, which foot all the bills that, you know, they can get these big checks written to the schools, they're not interested in paying the same price to see Cincinnati and Boise State. And that's the harsh reality of this argument. This is a blue blood deal and it's run by TV companies and common sense dictates that they want the most eyeballs they can on their product. That's so kind of worse. So then why would we expand the playoff? Well, I think, well, that's the thing though. Why do you think, why do you think that the, the conference, the SEC doesn't want automatic births? The SEC knows because the TV money gets split up by the participating schools, right? So the more schools you get in from your conferences, the more money you get for your conference. They know if they go to a 12-team playoff, there's a legit possibility that most of the time, four or five schools are going to be in the running for it. Like, I, I think it's – I mean, I, I don't think it's stupid because I think it would be awesome. But the reality is, Joe, if we expand the playoffs, it's not going to be more Cincinnati's. It's going to be more old misses. It's going to be more Penn State. It's going to be more Michigan. Like it's, this is still, they're just going to expand the product for more big dogs to get a seat at the table. I hate to break yeah, it think, to you, but that's it. I definitely think if they, if they expanded the, the playoff, they're just going to put more SEC teams that are on the fringe, two losses that they think are better than, you know, teams with a one loss record, a, a Cincinnati team that went undefeated. You know, if they expand the playoff to six, eight, 12, I think Cincinnati wouldn't even be number four. I think they even being undefeated, they'd be seven or eight. I mean, I think they're, they're definitely 
um, because of the money being put into it behind it, behind it from TV, I think the ratings, the TV ratings and what people want to see uh, plays a major factor. And that also, uh, that also correlates with the bias of the SEC because there's no way you could tell me that Ole Miss deserves to be in the top 10 because they didn't beat anybody worth talking about, but yet they sit in the top 10 of the final rankings. That's unimaginable to me because I, I just don't understand it. And, uh, and as to my Hawkeyes, you know, we've, we've been really good for a lot of years and we still never made the top four, even with a one loss, being a one loss team and, and playing in the big 10 championship, you know, everybody knows that in the big 10 Ohio state is the top dog. So no matter what happens with Ohio state, they're always going to find a way to get them into being in that top five, top six range. And, and that's just the way it goes. You know, Michigan finally broke the curse of beating Ohio state and showing everybody that the almighty Ohio state isn't what people think they are. And now that Michigan is, is playing at that level, they're still not getting the respect that they deserve. And I think the big 10, through and through is starting to challenge the SEC for who's the best conference in the end of the country. And that's probably one of the biggest things that people are not really wanting to pay attention to is that now that the big 10 teams are starting to contend with the SEC and then you only have in the ACC Clemson and, and now Pitt, um, you know, where do we go for, for finding? Cause the PAC 12 don't really have anybody worth talking about. I mean, Oregon, was a front runner in the, what what conference is that the big tw- big twelve or Pac yeah, twelve? Joe, Bond, think about think about this perspective. Oregon, you know how good you know how good things are in the Pac twelve in Oregon right now. They just lost their coach to Miami. Think about that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The Pac twelve. I mean, again, you you can run through the Pac twelve left and right every year. Oregon has been, you know, except for when USC was in their glory days. Oregon's been the best team in the Pac-12. I mean, they got the coolest uniforms, the coolest helmets. You know, they, they got everything that you could want as a player, you know, facilities and all of those things so they can get their pick of the litter when it comes to recruits. And then they don't have to play defense at all because all you have to do is run the score up because that's all teams do in the Pac-12 is score points. And I then love- when you play against teams. Uh, Jovan, I can, I can sense some disdain in your voice. No, I'm being honest. That's why Lincoln Riley went to the Pac-12 so that he's going to take that Oregon style I mean Oklahoma style of offense and to USC and they're going to run up the scoreboard and they're going to score a whole lot of points they're going to get all the best players that they could possibly get and they're just going to keep playing great offense and and then when they play against teams that I mean it's no coincidence that Oklahoma hasn't won a national championship with Lincoln Riley because when they go against teams with great defense that those numbers look drastically different and that, that's the issue with the 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 way that they're yeah, structuring the playoffs. Uh, leave it leave it to Jovan to to harp on the need for defense, which is necessary. No, so we got, hey, we, hang we, on the hang gotta, on the We, we got to go. I, I feel quickly, quickly, Joe. Ten seconds. Jovan's point is spot on to my point because Lincoln Riley knows that USC is a brand that's always going to get a seat at the table. Oklahoma and the SEC no longer will be. And it's amazing Absolutely. how important this game is for Cincinnati because if they lose, group of fives may never make the college football playoff again. Okay, Bills and Patriots tonight. Reaction to that game on Friday on the Critical Eye Podcast. Fun show. We'll see you all Friday. Enjoy your week.